Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. But every beginning of every day that I'm there, I have a habit where at sunrise I go get a coffee, then go to the ocean at a particular spot I've been going to for over 25 years. And I have my Bible. I also have a journal. And just spend that time being near to God, watching the sun come over the ocean. It's just, I just love it. It's familiar to me. I go there and, you know, year after year, you look back to what's happened in your life and you pray about what's coming forward. And about three years ago, I began bringing a commentary, a Bible commentary, which surprises me now because Bible commentaries used to be, tend to be very dry. But I brought a Bible commentary on 1 Samuel, and I started just loving it. It was just so exciting. It was just, I mean, I was learning lessons that were so relevant to me and, and to others, and I thought, this is good. I've never read this kind of commentary that was just, I, could, I just wanted to keep reading more and more of it. And so that's why I started thinking, let's do a, a sermon series on 1 Samuel and, and learn some of these lessons together. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to look at those first five, seven chapters. And I was looking, thinking about what could we call the series? What could we summarize? If I could summarize this series in one word, it would be the word response. Every day, throughout the day, you and I respond in some way to everything that happens around us. We respond to news we receive. Uh, Manu was talking about the or Peter was talking, praying this morning about the plane crash. And you know, when you hear that, how it makes you feel, you respond to that. Sometimes it's good news and respond differently. We respond to situations we find ourselves in. Sometimes we respond in panic. Sometimes we respond in fear. Sometimes we respond in joy and thanksgiving, depending on the situation, what's, what's trying to get us to come out of us. Sometimes we respond, well, we certainly always respond to God. It can be said that our life is made up of a ser- of series of responses. How you and I choose to respond to God is the choice among all choices, which determines the success and effectiveness of our life. I kid you not, by the end of your life, what will, what will matter most is how you responded to God during these years here on earth. And uh, we're going to venture out through the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel and see how our choices matter. How they not only affect us, but affect those around us. Our kids, our grandkids, our family, our church, our people we work with. So we're going to look at that. And next week we're going to begin at the first chapter of 1 Samuel. Continue to work our way through, section by section, chapter by chapter. But today, as laying this foundation, I just want to jump ahead to chapter 3, as we read earlier. Um, and kind of let that be the foundation. But let me say this first. In your sermon notes, Aristotle said, He who cannot be a good follower cannot be a good leader. I think he's right. There are people uh, who always seem they want to be leaders. They, I want to lead but they fail at leadership because they never learned first how to follow. Think about it. No army general gets to the rank of general. He begins private as a follower, taking orders, listening, learning before he is a leader. And that takes usually years and experience and successes of being a follower before he becomes a leader. As followers, we learn lessons like how to be loyal. We learn lessons like 
how do I learn? How do I learn from my mistakes? How do I fail forward? We learn how to be goal setters, how to be patient. <laughs> I was confessing again at worship practice, my, my desire. And everybody's around me is encouraging me. Yes, Mark, you need to learn how to be patient. <laughs> it's great to be part of the family of God. Yes. <laughs> how to be ambitious sometimes. How to be enthusiastic. We learn how to be adaptable and organized before we can become an effective leader. And maybe that's the desire of our heart. We first need to learn how to be a humble and effective follower. Successful publisher and author Michael Hyatt, who I believe has the most, the greatest following among all bloggers, easily used to, it still could be that way. He writes, I contend that if you want to be a great leader, you must first become a great follower. And then he says this in your notes History's worst leaders never learn to follow. The problem is, people don't naturally aspire to be great followers. I, I, I challenge you to go to Amazon. And, and write in the word, you know, leadership, and you'll be, I, I guess there'll be tons, like dozens, maybe hundreds of books. But type in the title, How to Be a Great Follower. I wonder if you even find one. Because people seem to be great leaders, but maybe not, the world doesn't, we think, value a great follower. And people want to jump into leadership because they, that's the goal they want to steam to. But as Christians, you know, we are called to be followers. There's a time when Jesus was ready to begin impacting his world and his ministry. And the first thing he did was seek followers. It says, Jesus called them out to them, come follow me. And I'll show you how to fish for people. Elsewhere, he said, after this, Jesus went out and saw the tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me. That's all he said. To Luke to Matthew, to Philip, to you and me, follow me. We become a great follower. It begins here. So how do we respond to that calling of Christ? Do we follow? Great leaders first become great followers. And that's the pattern we find in the Bible. That's the way God seems to develop leaders. For example, Joshua followed who? Moses. For um, at least 40 years before Joshua led the people into the promised land, he followed Moses. He was his right hand man. Elisha served who? Do you remember? Elijah. For 10 years before he took upon his master, master's mantle, went out and performed many miracles after that. The Apostle Paul followed Jesus for three years, made lots of mistakes. That's why we love Peter. Before he had, he and his fellow disciples became, as the Bible said it, I love this. This is, how, this is how the world described them. They turned the world upside down. You know, when we read this, when we read that, I thought that would be great to put on a resume in a job interview. <laughs> you, you know, your employer looks at you, your potential employer looks at you and says, oh, I see you've turned the world upside down. How did you do that? You just say following Jesus. We read this morning where God called Samuel into a leadership role. Three times God calls Samuel in this audible voice. And the first few times Samuel does understand, but his leader does, Eli, the priest. Eli, the priest, knew it was God and said, next time you hear this, say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. I'm listening. 
God has a mission for Samuel to carry out. And from this point on, from when Samuel says yes to God, he embarks on this incredible journey of leadership in God's kingdom. But let's look at Samuel's resume before taking leadership. In Samuel 3.1, which is our text, we read how before Samuel was called to be developing as a great leader, he first became a great follower. It says this, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Samuel served the Lord. How did he do that? Well, he did this by being a follower and assisting Eli. Because to become a great leader, you must become a great follower. If we're going to be great leaders in the kingdom of God, we need to be great followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk about. Here's how we can be great followers in your notes. Number one, a follower of Jesus is willing to be a student. He desires to learn about Jesus and his ways. He desires that. This is what Jesus said. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student is fully trained will become like the teacher. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. A great follower desires to learn. They, they want to expand their world. They're always looking to broaden their insight and lean not on their own understanding. The church renewal lesson that I learned this week in my own mentoring was about humility and pride. And one of the questions that we are asked, and I'm asked, I have to ask myself, and we have to ask, is this, am I teachable? Am I teachable? Because to be teachable, you have to be humble. To have to admit that you still have areas in your life you need to grow in. You have to let, allow others to speak into your life. God will use his word and use his people. He uses great books. He'll use life groups, devotionals, great events and conferences to teach you. But am I teachable? You know someone is teachable because this is my opinion. When you think, you ask them, you can ask them what they're reading or what they're learning and they can tell you. I'm reading this in the Bible right now. I'm reading this book. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be attending this, this conference because God's using this person, using this author, using... Uh, You know, for five years I've been um, a student in the church renewal movement. <clears throat> and it amazes me because, I wasn't going to say this, but I came across a photo I took back in 2014, my first time out to church renewal to the church. And they had prayer goals too. That's where I kind of got that idea. They put them up in the wall and put our prayer goals up here. And I was showing the pastor and, and the other pastors in my mentoring group I've known for years now. Look at number goal two, the number two goal on their list back in 2014. It said, we hope to grow to mentor 30 pastors a week. I said, Ray, you're up to 900 now. I couldn't believe it. Send me that picture. i got to show that to the church. When you start praying, what happens? You don't know. So five years ago, I began to uh, attend this, to be part of this movement with many other churches from many other denominations, not only in Canada, but now the world. Because we all just love Jesus. We all want to be renewed. And the mission of church renewal is to renew its leaders who would renew their churches. And I became uh, uh, involved in that because I know, I know, I know I have so much more to learn as a pastor and certainly as a Christian. And I knew I was willing to learn. I have a desire to learn and to grow. And if I would do that, I'd be more effective. Husband, 
father, pastor, Christian. And for me, it's like this. It's like that two-talent servant we took hold of the resources last week, given to him. And you take what you're given. You say, this is what's been presented to you. Now take this and use it and develop it. And let God be glorified because of it. I don't want to be like that one-talent servant. I can't tell you. I do not, I, I do not want to be like the one-talent servant who does little or nothing and expects something great to happen. It won't. Because you bury it. You're apathetic. You're not teachable. You're not willing to go out. You don't have the desire to move ahead. So why would I still be doing these things after years of ministry? Because I know a great leader. To be a great leader, you have to be a great follower. And if you're going to get to be a great follower, you need to humble yourself and be willing to be a student and learn. I, you know, some people stand to, tend to stand on their opinion. I'm not going to budge. It's what I thought 20 years ago. It's what I thought now. And they're close to moving forward. They're close to considering how they might need change, how they might grow. And when God, when they're challenged by God, they remain stubborn. And to be a disciple of Jesus, you can't have that kind of attitude. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to be, this is what you got to do. You must give up your own way. And to me, that's like, I got, must be teachable. I must allow God to speak into my life. I must allow his people to speak into my life. Take up your cross and follow me. Here is a great irony in this truth. Now think about this. When you're following, you're actually leading. Now think how that might be true. You see, when a follower seeks to gain more insight from God, to enlarge their world of understanding, they're actually helping, let's use the church, they're helping their church. When you're willing to follow, you're willing to learn, and when you're willing to learn, you grow, and when you grow, your church grows, and when you're growing your church, you are actually leading your church. As you develop your own relationship with Christ, it affects not only you, but those around you, I'll kid you, and I tell you, every great leader in the church began as a great follower, saying, I just want to learn. I want to, God, just help me overcome. Let me be everything I, need, I can be for you. I'm humbling myself before you. And then they start to grow. And as they grow, those around them, it's just contagious. They, they grow. And when they grow, the church grows. And, you, and suddenly you find that you are leading, somehow, the lives of others. Because somewhere you decided you would follow that's exactly what happened to Apostle Paul. <laughs> he was a Pharisee, you know, legalistic, wouldn't change, knew the Bible inside and out, but he humbled himself to, before Jesus on the road to Damascus. Remember that? And, and then he spent three years, we forget this, he spent three years in Arabia preparing himself. He didn't speak, was saved and turned to Jesus and went right into ministry. He spent three years preparing, humbling himself, before he even went to shook hands with the, the apostles, which was very humbling for him as well, because a lot of them, we're very cautious, except as a Barnabas. After preparing for three years, he went off to preach, he went off to teach, but he began learn how to first be a great follower, to humble himself under others and God before he became a great leader. And then, having done that, Paul wrote this to the Christians in the church of Corinth. Whoops, sorry, I didn't read, but 
and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So, desire to learn. Secondly, a follower of Jesus desires to imitate his Lord. He seeks to do so by practicing what he learns. It's not just to learn it, it's by practicing it. You don't just learn more information about Jesus. You learn more about Jesus with the purpose, how can I apply this in my life? In other words, this is a saying we have in Church Grenoble, being a follower of Jesus isn't just orthodoxy, it's orthopraxy. Praxy. Orthodoxy is about relating to or generally accepting the beliefs of Jesus Christ. Orthopraxy is the belief that right action is as important as right belief. It's not enough just to know it or to know that it's true. You must apply it. It's not enough to to believe it's true. You must practice what you say is true. I read in my devotional reading just this past week how Jesus was condemning the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, because they assumed that the knowledge of the written scriptures would give them life. They were satisfied with having the words instead of experiencing the person who gave them the words. Jesus said to these religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The Pharisees would not humble themselves as Paul did and follow Jesus. They would not humble themselves and confess, Jesus, you are Lord. I'm willing to change, surrender, be open, and become a follower so I may be a great leader in your kingdom. A follower of Jesus, and if you remember anything, remember this today. There's a lot, I know that. Ask two questions. What is Jesus saying? And what am I doing in response? In fact, you know, if I would probably now put another one in there before what Jesus is saying. Am I listening? Am I spending time listening to what Jesus is saying? And then I would say, what is Jesus saying to me? As I read the scriptures, as I spend time in prayer, as others speak into my life, as I do this teaching, what is he saying to me? It's incredible what he'll say. But it's not enough just to know what he's saying. What am I doing in response? So what is Jesus saying to your life, to you these days? Where is he asking you to trust him? like the song Oceans, step out when he calls you to step out. What is he encouraging you to become? I love you and I want to encourage you and I know that you can become this and more. What areas in your lifestyle and habits is he speaking to you about changing? Because he loves you. He wants the best for you. And this is not helping. Are you stubborn? Do you justify? Do you excuse? Or are you willing them to speak and then respond? What are you learning from Jesus? But more than that, what are you doing about it? We're calling this series response because it isn't enough to hear and understand. There must be a response. That is so 
crucial in your development in these years that you're given as you seek to take what God has given you, whatever that talent, those resources are, and you go out and develop it. So someday you can stand before him and say, Lord, I didn't waste my life. I responded. I love this quote by John Wimmer. It's in your notes. It's just, I think it's absolutely brilliant. A disciple is always ready to take the next step. Is there anything, is there, is, if there is anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It is the willingness to put your hand in his and say, I'm scared to death, but I'll go with you. Wow. Put that one up in your wall somewhere. So you see it. I love the line, it's willingness to become a beginner again. That's what it's like. Ah, but I got this degree, and I got that degree, and I've been doing this ministry for so many years, and... Yeah, Mark, we've got to start over again in some areas. He'll say that to you. Yeah, I've been reading your Bible for years, been a Christian, been going to church all your life, your parents went to... Yeah, let's just start here. And you know, sometimes it's your willingness to put your hand in his, and say, God, I'm so scared... I'm scared to death, but I'm going to go with you. We face changes. We face new adventures, which cause us to step out of those things we love called comfort zones. So much. And I find that challenging. And I ask myself, am I putting into practice where Jesus is calling me and what he's saying to me or am I stubborn because I can be refusing to grow and remain unchanged and I say nope I don't I don't want to be that one talent servant I don't want to be lazy I don't want to be stubborn I don't want to just be apathetic God I don't want to stand before you one day and say there's nothing really I got to show you here's a great question a disciple of Jesus wants to ask themselves. And boy, I kept rewording this because I'm unsure of the grammar of it, but I hope you get the idea. Is who I'm becoming in Christ serve as the kind of example worth others following? You've got to ask yourself that. Because sometimes you say, others will come to know the Lord in spite of me. My kids may know the Lord in spite of what example I give them. My grandkids may come and thrive in the Lord in spite of the decisions I'm making that they see and know. Those I work with might, you know, no, are, am I becoming what, you know, I, I, God is calling you to be, and it would serve as a kind of example, inspiration, worth up, that others would say, I would, love, I would follow that. Because when you're overwhelmed with, with stress, somehow you, you go through that well. When you are faced with that challenge or that sickness or that, that whatever that might be, you seem to be stable. And, then, and you seem to be joyful. You, you seem to have this peace. And you seem to have this purpose in your life that I don't have. And, and you don't just say you go to church. You actually, I can tell that you live this life. And that you're humble. And you're dependent upon God. Is who I'm becoming in Christ serve as a kind example worth others Following. I, I just think that's a great question to say. What am I doing? How am I responding to God? 
Apostle Paul, he said it this way. He said, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. So I, I'm trying to be this example. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. That's confidence. And I think Paul, he was the first one to say, I'm the chief of sinners. He's not trying to, he's not trying to be above everybody else and I'm better than everybody else. He just says, I'm, if you know me, you know I'm putting into practice what I believe. So you keep putting into practice what you learned, what you see from me. And you saw me doing. Which leads to our final point this morning. A follower of Jesus desires to help others become like Jesus. We do this through relationships. We learn, we practice, and then we relate. What I hope you would see is that becoming a disciple is becoming like Jesus. And then it's not just that, it's then helping others to become like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying in the last verse. Discipling is about relationships. Becoming like Jesus is the greatest thing we could ever hope for someone. Now, I thought about that this morning. I was praying over that this morning. Because I realized as a father, I have three daughters, and my greatest hope is that they would be like Christ. And there's things I'm proud of them for. You know, they would run, someone would run track, and someone were brilliant in school, and got a master scholarship paid for them. I, I mean, some brilliant, but they know that I'm most proud of them because I want them more than anything else to know Christ. That's my greatest hope. They might get the, uh, the praise from man for a little time, for a few years here on earth. I want them to receive praise from God forever. And that won't happen just because they run track well if they're not following God. Or if they get a full scholarship. My heart, I just, one of my daughters yesterday, I just hugged her and said, I'm so proud of you. Minister's wife, serving the Lord, raising her little boy up to know Christ, even though he's young. You know, when I talked to Carly over in England, so I'm so proud of you. She's, she has a youth degree in Redeemer for youth and Christian children's ministry, but she's saying, I'm finding, she's told us this again this last night, I'm finding the joy in serving and housekeeping. I said, Carly, it doesn't sound like you. If you want to practice, come home. We'll, we'll give you practice. <laughs> oh, Dad. But to hear my child who went through school and got this degree is paying off loans for it, saying this is where God has been using me in this humbling thing of cleaning rooms, making beds, and it's a joy. How kind of am proud of you. Becoming like Jesus is the greatest thing I could ever hope for you. Health, wealth, you go great. Marriage, I hope you find a great one. I do. Have a good career. But above it all, above it all, that you would know him. The Bible teaches us as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's relationships. And it's one of the purposes we have of the church. We are a family. Do you know that? Anybody have a perfect family? Good. You know, the first time someone in my family does something that, that irks me, I don't walk away. That's it, I'm going to find another family. 
that we need to be committed. We need to help. We need to pray for. We need to have grace. So lots of grace. And we're friends. I consider you my friends. People say, how's it been going there at the gate? It says, better than I expected. I've, I just get to know people and I love it. They've been so good to me and Glenda. So good to us. They're my friends. And we sharpen one another. That's why we do life groups. Why we meet and, and we become effective disciples in the kingdom of God. So let me just finish with this psalm today. Psalm 145. It, it sums it up for me. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. It says in that verse. Oh, maybe I didn't. Then it, Where are we going? Oh, it's probably changing. Does it change color up there? No, it doesn't. Two back? One, two. Okay, I guess that's the problem going Mac to PC. I have some of those highlighted, but that's okay. I can read them. So let's look at the very first line. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. It's important that my generation disciples the next generation. That's one of the reasons why one of our prayers, big prayers for 2020 is to equip our youth and our young people with a leader. As iron sharpens iron. Young people need young people. I know that because I was young once. There's power in the relationship of peer group. People, young people, they need other young people. I, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I, got, well, I have a friend that's about 12 years older than I. His name's Dave. Um, all my best friends are named Dave. <laughs> Dave Sparling, Dave Gagne. Dave. Um, but I asked him, I said, you know, you're 12 years ahead of me. You've had more experience than I do. If you go to a church, what, what advice would you give me? He said, Mark, if you go to a church, make sure they have a good youth program for your kids. I went, what? Because mine didn't, and my kids are suffering today. I raised them to know Christ, and they're good people, but they're not. They're putting other things before God. And if I could do it again, I would go to a church as a pastor who had a good young people's group. And I followed that. And it was such an important part of my kids' life and development was that they had Christian peers that weren't perfect. But it was good to be with and learn from, and they sharpened each other. And I thought, that's what happened to me. I, my youth group, my young adult groups were, were paramount in my development. And so we, I know here I am today, and I say I want to be the generation that disciples the next generation that tells of their mighty acts. And then the next line says, they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. They speak, and I believe, I'm going to connect that to corporate prayer. When we come together as a church and pray, on Palm Sunday, we're going to hold our very first church-wide prayer meeting. It's called a prayer summit. And we're going to speak and listen and dwell in the majesty of the Lord. And it's going to be one of our big, it's one of our big prayer goals for this, goals this year, as we become this house of prayer. Tell me about the gate. Well, man, they pray. So how did you guys grow? They prayed. Why are you so joyful? We prayed. 
And the truth is, this is the truth that I learned. This is talking about being humble because I didn't believe this, but it's true. That as a church prays corporately, the personal private prayer lives of its people develop. So I thought it was the other way around. If I can just get you to develop your prayer life personally, then the church will pray. No, no, no. It's when we come, you know, and not perfect, and we come together, and we pray together as a church, iron sharpens iron, and suddenly my prayer life is going like this. Boom. So it's, that's why it's one of our goals to be a house. Yes, to be people of prayer, but to be a house where families live, a church family lives. Where we pray, and all of us have that ability. Do you know that? I cannot say we come all Sunday school teachers. We all fix the building. But I can say we all can be prayer people. People of prayer. And then it says, the next line, And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to study. I'm going to reflect. I'm going to tell. I'm going to share what you've done. I'm going to proclaim your goodness. And that's why one of our big prayers for this year is Life Dad, three new life groups. A place where we can together, iron sharpens iron, study the word together. Share life together. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Know about each other. Iron sharpens iron. That's a, there's, a power in that, there's power in that kind of relationship in life groups. And if it wasn't, I would just let it go. But I'm saying, we need, to eat th- we need to add three more at least. We need to become a people who are connected. And finally, the verse says, they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And that's what we want to do in our worship because God is worth celebrating. He's worth it. However he might do that. But one of the biggest prayers for 2020 is that we become a people of celebratory worship. That when we worship, whether it's a hymn or a chorus or, or whatever it might be, that it's, it's celebratory because God is worth celebrating. He's worth it. There's power when we come together as a family in the house and worship him. It changed my life back many years ago, back in 2003. Glenn and I went to a church just on vacation close to us. We were just across the border. And we went in and thought, people there, they want to, they're worshiping God. They want to be here. They're not just kind of standing and looking. And they can tell that they, there's something in them that is crying out, saying, God, you're so good. I want to proclaim your good deeds. I want to joyfully sing of your righteousness. And it changed us because we ended up pastoring at that church. Never thought it would be. Never went there going, I actually said no to them twice when they asked. Years later. Because the people had this desire. And that begins with me because I didn't. I grew up just kind of, you just, you, this is what we do. We stand and we sing and I like this, I don't like that. In fact, that was the greatest powder in worship. It's the song that wasn't, wasn't being done well, and I would, I would, I would pout. <laughs> Put my head down, go, I don't still like this. And God said, Mark, who's this about? Oh, it's about you, God. Yeah, then why are you being you? And so I would look up and read the words and go, oh. 
It's so true. Maybe it's not being done well today. Maybe it's not my style. But the words speak truth. I want to celebrate you for that. I kid you not. wasn't planning to say this, this either. I'm going on. You know I don't like country and western music, right? I love everything but country and western. The twang, I can't stand. I'm sorry. I'll love you in spite if you do. <laughs> I, I, I went to a ride at Peter. I was, he's like, come and drive my car. I said, Peter, not until you turn off that country and western station in the car. Is that not true? <laughs> that was this week. I'm working. You're working, good. <laughs> but I tell you what, if, if people suddenly were coming to the Lord and were excited with celebratory worship through country and western music, if it meant my unsaved kids or grandkids would come to church, I'll be up there with a cowboy hat, cowboy boots going, Yahoo! <laughs> it's not about me. <laughs> are you going to hold me accountable to that now? Right? Yeah, that's good. It's great our elders are listening, right? But you see what I'm saying? It's not about me. So if, if we went country and western, and that meant that people came to the Lord, and this church grew, and we became a house of prayer, and youth were being ministered to, and people were celebrating God, and life groups were growing, I would be, the, honestly, I'd be the first person there. Because that's my desire in my heart. It's not about me. I want to celebrate God. I want to give Him the glory. And I know you do too. So we have to examine ourselves. I have to examine myself. I still do. Who's this about? Who's this for? And just worship him, thank him, say, what I'm seeing today is true. It's real. There's power when we come together as a church family and celebrate, celebrate God. So 1 Samuel 3.1, God calls Samuel as a young boy. He says, I want you to step out. He had followed God by assisting Eli. He grew and we're going to see what happened in his life and, and what God did in his life. But to summarize what we're saying today, and maybe this will help us just remember everything we said. When I follow, I grow. When I grow, I lead others. When I lead, others' lives are changed. So if you're willing to follow, even if, even if you know, you may go, ah, ask God. He might be asking you to grow. And the thing is, when you grow, you become a leader. You start leading others. You mean that's not in your intention, but that's what happens. I'm just trying to follow God. I know that, but you're influencing others. That's what leadership is. And when you lead others, what happens? Lives are starting to be changed. It's, a, it's just a great thing. Simple. When I follow, I'm going to grow. When I grow, I'm going to be leading others, influencing others. When I influence others, lives are going to be changed. So last line. Discipleship is spiritual reproduction. It's not filling in the blanks. It's changing lives. A lot of blanks we had to fill in today. But I want you to know it's just not about the knowledge. It's not just about the words. It's about applying those words to your lives that other lives would be changed. So you come before God one day and say, here, Lord, this is how I use what you gave me. And he'll say, well done. Come and let's celebrate together. So Lord, thank you for Samuel. Thank you for this book we're going to go into. Thank you for the call and the challenge to be followers, God. Lord, we have, we, there, there's probably areas in our life we have to speak and say, this is where I need you to humble yourself and surrender yourself and be willing to change and to grow because I have so much more planned for you. I'm going to call you to step out and do things you never even thought of, but first I need you to become a great follower. Would you do it? 
And God, I believe our, our response today would say, yeah. If it scares me, I know you'll go with me. Maybe it means starting over again, beginning somewhere. God, that's okay. I trust you. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.